0: Power!
1: Hello, I'm Matt Bergman, and you are listening to the Punk Rock Libertarians podcast, episode 265. I'm here tonight with Jared Schneiderman. Hey, guys. Philip Dazzing.
2: What's up, all you cool cats and kittens? <laughs> still Kyle Wagner. Hey, guys. How's it going?
1: Yeah, and we're very excited about uh, this This next guest. This is um, Jeff Deist. He is the president of the Mises Institute. He is also, he was also the former chief of staff for uh, Ron Paul. So, and the really cool thing about Jeff Deist is, uh, for me, is he's like, apparently he's got some background in punk rock. So, uh, you know, Jeff, I've been following you for years on Facebook and I've just like seen here and there, you know, you've just posted about some like punk rock. um, I believe you were like into Black Flag back in the day
3: well i mean this is just a function of age i'm a lot older than you guys so this is just the era i mean uh that that's what it was in the 80s you know when, when i was a kid um it looks like you're wearing a naked reagan shirt is this true
1: oh yeah man
3: yeah there were, I, for a while i went through that kind of midwest chicago phase there was um there were a lot of great bands out of chicago apart from naked reagan and actually before they got famous soul asylum was kind of an interesting band um, yeah back in the day from minneapolis which minneapolis obviously spawned husker Du and a lot of uh a lot of a lot of bands but um i i don't know that i've ever alluded to or posted anything on social media to that effect i mean i my my situation was just in the mid 80s you know i was a teen teenager at the time middle teens and um so my older brother w- was listening to uh the clash the sex pistols the ramones that sort of thing so when you're, you know, when you're uh, in a teenager and you've been listening to Sticks or 2 uh, wagon R- <laughs> or something, and you hear, uh, you know, Pretty Vacant by the Sex Pistols, all of a sudden you kind of have this uh, epiphany and you say, wow, that's better. And, uh, and so that, that was pretty much my story. And, uh, you know, I just happened to be a, a young person at the time when Black Flag and Dead Kennedy's. Uh, and and my probably my all-time favorite band TSOL were really just peaking in Southern California in the nineteen eighties, and uh, in Orange County wh- where I lived, there was a, a big scene that was sort of centered around Huntington Beach. Uh, and uh, silly as it sounds now, it, it, which and it was silly, and, but as silly as it sounds now, there was there was kind of this idea that Huntington Beach was. Uh, was very different from Hollywood in LA and that there was a competition. You know, this is the, this is the typical thing that happens with, we see this in libertarianism all the time, factions. Um, Mm -hmm. This is the typical kind of mentality. And LA was where the Cathay de Grand was and there were bands like X and it was sort of um, fancier or more, more big time. And in orange County uh, in places like the cuckoo's nest in Anaheim, it was well you know we have our own thing and so um you know it was just it was just a place and time um and uh but for me for me you know my, my sort of time in that I, it, once i was over it was very much over and i pretty much got away from music altogether didn't listen to anything um and you know because of the crossover stuff that was happening at the time bands like anthrax and dri uh, and Corrosion Conformity, you know, metal and punk were, were melding, at least for me. And so I'm, I'm really don't listen to any music at all today, haven't for many, many years. Uh, if I were going to, it would probably be something pretty generic. Uh, you know, Megadeth, Motorhead, Metallica, something along those lines. And that would be about that. But, uh, you know, music doesn't animate me the way it did when I was a kid, that's for sure. But it was a fun time. And, uh, uh, you know, and I so every everybody thinks that the music when they were young and coming up is the best music and everyone sort of stays frozen in time. And so boomers do this and, and Generation <laughs> so X, Generation X, my generation does it, too. So it's not that I think the music of that time was so great. And frankly, some of it sounds pretty bad now. It didn't it didn't have a lot of staying power, you know, like say what you will. You can still listen to a Led Zeppelin song. Um, For sure. So a lot of it didn't have a lot of staying power, but uh, you know, the, the, my, my thing is, you know, somewhere probably late eighties to early nineties, I just stopped listening to anything new. So I'm, so as a result, I have no sense of, you know, you know, uh, new metal or, uh, that sort of thing. I'm just, I just don't have any, anything to judge it by.
1: Yeah. So, uh, two questions. How old are you? And also what years were you going to punk shows?
3: Um, I just turned 53, so I was going from like 80, 85 to 90, you know, sort of in there.
1: Nice. Wow. Yeah, so um, I also saw a picture recently of you playing guitar in a band.
3: Yeah, this is this same period, long time ago.
1: Yeah. So like, what kind of band was this?
3: Um, you know, not, not a lot of skill um, <laughs> kind of band.
1: So I mean, some of my favorite bands they don't have a lot of skill. Yeah.
3: <laughs> but also you got to, we. I mean, this was where people had, we had fake guitars. Like we had fake Fender Telecasters. We had fake, there used to be a Japanese guitar company called Hondo. Yeah. That made My. shitty, cheap guitars. I mean, this is the kind of level that we're at. We're talking about a, a thirty watt PV amp that someone puts on a folding chair. Yeah,
1: yeah. You know, I, so I was there. At, so it's
3: at waist level. I mean, this is this is this is pretty bare bones and not good. So I'm the farthest <laughs> thing from a musician.
1: Okay. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so I, I guess like uh, you went from music like straight on into libertarianism, I take it. Uh,
3: yeah, that was pr- really at the same time. Again, I owe a lot to my older brother because he was reading Reason Magazine way back in the 80s when that was new. And um, because of him, uh, it, I just never really went through a phase otherwise. Um, and, ne- you know, so it, it that's just, ha- again, something I fell into rather than something I sought out.
1: Hmm. So how did it come about that you uh, went to working for Ron Paul?
3: Well, um, in in 88, he ran for president. I went to see him at a uh, a Ramada Inn hotel in in Orange, California. The city of Orange in Orange County, California. No, I'm sorry. It was in Santa Ana, California. That hotel is still there. I think it's something else now. It's really down gone downhill um and of course back then to even know ron paul was coming to to you know your town you had to be involved with a local lp or be a you know get some sort of physical mailer uh because you know we didn't have internet and cell phones so uh that you know i just got to meet him briefly in 88 and sort of uh became friends with some people who worked for him at the time and stayed in touch with them over the years and I, i went off and became a lawyer for many many years 15 years i guess and, uh, and then it just, one of the things that happened that I ended up, uh, k- reconnecting with Ron through some of the people who are around him and worked for him. So it's, uh, I, have known him in sort of since 88 and what you guys are born like mid nineties. Most of you,
1: <laughs> no, <laughs> no, I, no, I was born in, I was born in
3: 1980. Oh, okay. I was in 88.
1: Yeah. Okay. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. R- were the other guys born at any time? I said 88, dude. Uh, Okay. I I said, Jared said 88. 81 for me. 81.
2: 87. I didn't
4: know you were that old, Kyle. (laughs) Coming up on 40. Yeah. Wow.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. um, It's uh, it's just pretty amazing to me that you've uh, really uh, been around Ron Paul since like 1988. It's like, wow, that's really cool. And I I guess like most of us – I, I guess you know, everybody else here is quite a bit younger and it, like I gotten into libertarianism like around the year 2000, but I don't think I heard of Ron Paul until like maybe like 2006 or 2007. And I was just like, wow, there's this like really old Congressman who's like, believes the same things <laughs> that I do. And, and somehow some place in Texas is able to like make him their representative. I was, he like blew my mind
3: yeah I don't think most people heard of him until oh seven oh eight really, so you were early uh, and as far as being elected a congressman, it really goes to a couple of things his skill in and his likability for years and years, there were a, a lot of people reelecting him in his district and and remember, a congressional district is seven hundred thousand odd people uh, and so his opponents were never able to paint him as the radical or the extremists that they that they thought he was and that he is relative to them um, but the, the reason for that is because he was a medical doctor because he had a family and a bunch of kids because he'd always comported himself uh, in a dignified manner in his personal life he'd always been uh, well respected as a doctor delivered uh, four thousand babies throughout his district so think how many times uh, he went out at three in the morning in rural south texas uh, to some hospital somewhere to deliver a baby in his car, you know. So, yeah. it, so that was, that was, it was awfully hard for them to overcome that. And uh, a lot of libertarian-ish, whether they're LP or not, a lot of candidates just don't, didn't have that. Uh, you know, the name ID from being a, a, an OBGYN and, um, and otherwise. But what a lot of people don't, don't know is that he was in Congress in the 1970s, mid-70s uh, mid, mid 70s to early 80s, and then left, went back to being a doctor. But when he decided to come back, he ran in 1996. And at the time, uh, George W. Bush was governor of Texas. Karl Rove was in the Texas State House as I think the governor's chief of staff at the time. And uh, Newt Gingrich was the speaker of the House in Congress. And so they didn't want Ron back. They didn't want him in Congress. So what they did was they went down to his district and they talked to the Democrat, uh, a guy named Greg Laughlin who held the seat and they got him to switch parties hmm. because it was it was considered a you know probably a, re, a republican seat and so they got him to switch parties uh and promised him all this you know committee assignments and money if you know for defeating ron and then ron beat him anyway so oh, wow. um, so george w bush carl rove and newt gingrich were all basically out to get him and keep him out of congress and and they didn't succeed and then in the in the general election in 1996, the Democrat he ran against, uh, you know, had an ad on TV that said Ron Paul would legalize heroin or something like that if he had his way. <laughs> and so Ron Ron ran an ad that showed him in his medical doctor's, you know, the white coat or whatever. Yeah. And uh, with all these all these moms saying like, "Ron Paul is my doctor. He delivered my four sons," or something. Yeah. You know, you can't stop that. Done. <laughs>
5: That's hilarious.
3: So, so <laughs> you know, Ron's been up against it. People don't understand how shabbily he's been treated over the years. And mm. that's why I get defensive and pissed when libertarians treat him shabbily because he's put up with a lot of bullshit. And, and way before any of this stuff, way before Ron Paul was Ron Paul in 1988, he was flying around the country, okay, in the middle seat on some crappy Southwest flight <laughs> and then showing up and hoping the local LP guy – Arrived at the airport in their, in their junkie car to take him to, to go talk to 30 people, maybe at the Denny's, <laughs> you know, so he put in a lot of time in the wilderness and he was spent a lot of time away from his family, a lot of lucrative time away from his medical practice and got treated very poorly Uh, by the Republicans and the congressional leaders. So that, you know, he, he doesn't worry about that stuff, but as a, I guess I would call myself his friend uh, you know, that, that stuff bothers me.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think he's, he's easily the most important person for Liberty in our lifetime. Nobody else has brought more people to Liberty than Ron Paul. I mean, there's just nobody. It's uh
3: well, maybe, I, I don't know, you know, maybe Ayn Rand has, maybe, who who knows who has, but um, he certainly, he certainly did a lot, and... Um, okay,
1: well, at least in the past 10 years, or, or 15 <laughs> years, 20 years, 20 years, I mean, <laughs> it's like, right. I don't know, it, it's like, the, the liberty movement that I've experienced, it's like, you know, 90% of the fuckers in there heard about it from Ron Paul, Right. and yeah, it, it does, it blows my mind when you've got somebody like Nick Sarwark uh, talking shit on the band. It's... Uh, it, it really, uh, pisses me off.
3: Well, it's unnecessary. Unhelpful. <laughs> yeah. Well, least. It's, right. it's
1: anti, it's anti-libertarian <laughs> and he's like the, the, supposed to be the head of the libertarian party. Right. And, uh, you know, just, you know, it's not a libertarian thing to do. Yeah,
5: I mean, so. even if he didn't like the guy, it's like, there's probably a list of a hundred people before him that, <laughs> that you could be talking about that are, that are doing far worse things <laughs> in the world. Um, to, to spend so much time focusing on one of the great champions of liberty just seems really, really confusing, actually. But,
3: well, that's there's a reason for that, and that is that uh, people want libertarianism to morph into some sort of public policy option as opposed to a, a ground up movement that's anti public policy at all. Mm hmm. Uh, the idea that we don't need public policy, that people can decide for themselves. And if we're going to have government or if we must have government it ought to be as decentralized and localized as possible. Well, a lot of people in the libertarian movement don't agree with that and don't like that. And they want to turn it into to what I would consider a self-actualization movement. Uh, in other words, um, I, for me, libertarian is an adjective. It's not a noun. In other words, you guys should be libertarian punk rock or punk rock liberty so the quote is liberty. Right? <laughs> yeah, that's our Twitter <laughs> handle. Right? We all want political liberty. Regard, regardless of who, of who we are, we all want political liberty. We see that as a baseline for having a humane society and for giving us all as individuals the best opportunity to flourish. And that's fine. That's great. There's nothing wrong with that. And it's proven uh, throughout the 20th century that, that uh, more laissez-faire governments produce far infinitely better results for, the, for their citizens. So from a purely utilitarian uh, or consequentialist stance, this is, this is obvious, but, but you know, beyond that, we, I think libertarianism in the United States especially has morphed into a feel-good sort of self-help thing, and it's all about self-actualization, that you, you, ought to, you just need to be free, not, not in, so much in the political sense, but in the cosmic sense or in the psychic sense, that you ought to be free from all these hang-ups, you ought to be free from other people judging you, you ought to be free from um, b- having bills, having a landlord, you ought to be free from hierarchy. <laughs> you shouldn't have to have a boss. You shouldn't have to uh, show any respect to your parents, or you know, you should you should never have anything in your life as silly as religion. That's for irrational, you know, dopes. You know, and and so what this what this you put this in a blender, and what it sounds like is a self-actualization movement. Now, mm. it, it, it is true that political liberty does create the, the best environment for self-actualization. I don't dispute that. But but being a libertarian or being a good libertarian or being more or less libertarian is not the goal. I, I, you know, the, the goal is to get political liberty and then we can all go be whatever we want to be. Um, and I think sometimes those two things get confused because I don't care how good of a libertarian I am. I don't care if I'm more or less libertarian. Someone I don't really care about as, as much about the philosophical, the end cap stuff or whatever that is. I mean, if, if we say, Hey, can we move towards uh, uh, greater political Liberty uh, you know, on any issue with any allies for any reason, then we ought to do that starting with war and peace, I would say. And then number two would be the fed, which is really the, the, the font of all uh, evil in American society or a lot of it anyway. Yeah. But um, I, I think, I think being libertarian is not a goal. Political liberty is a goal. And I think it's the, f- the former creates a lot of the factionalism.
0: Mm.
5: So is that sort of the thick versus thin libertarian argument in there?
3: Well, I think it's related. Uh, I think that's certainly bound up in it. And, and, you know, a lot of, look, people on the right think libertarians left wing. People on the left <laughs> think libertarians right wing. I, I get that. Yeah. But That's how we're wired. And, and I understand that. But I think make we've made a fetish out of trying to be hoity toy and say, well we're neither left nor right. Okay, you know, that like this is like you're supposed to get a merit badge or something for
1: that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean some people have, but then some people talk about libertarianism like it's it's pretty extreme right and other people talk about it like it's pretty extreme left.
3: Yeah, I mean the the the, the cultural power in our world is is left wing it just is um corporations government uh media entertainment sports it, it just is i mean if if you want to be a, a radical nonconformist today and you're 20 you you have to like go be a mormon and have seven kids okay <laughs> You know, ha- having, uh, you know, ta- a sleeve of tattoos and nose rings and, you know, going around at anti-Trump rally is about the most conformist thing you can possibly do if you're 20 years old today. Uh, and, and so we ought to recognize this. And I, I feel like uh, Li- Libertarianism Inc. has said, well, we all have to adopt a set of left cultural precepts. And a lot of those precepts I personally reject for myself. Um, so that as a result i'm considered a right libertarian okay fine that you know whatever but i don't you know those are appendages those those are appurtenances those are not uh to me uh something i have to accept uh as a libertarian person again adjective not noun um so you know i i understand different people see it di- different ways but the the trump thing i think exposed a lot of people i mean you had Millions and millions of Americans who didn't want to vote for Hillary, but who also didn't think, you know, Jeb Bush or uh, uh, or, you know, John Kasich were the the next uh, second coming. Okay, there's nothing wrong with those people. As a matter of fact, there's a lot of them in the state where I live of Alabama, which I'm sure the anti-Trump people think is some deep red uh, Trump stronghold. It's anything but. I think people here would have preferred to vote for Ted Cruz or Mike Huckabee or someone like that. Um, But they sort of held their noses and voted for Trump. And so libertarians scoffed at this. Libertarians have scoffed at Trump voters since day one. They've hated Trump voters since day one. And basically they've, they've exposed themselves as the same kind of elitists that the Atlantic Magazine or Washington Post or any of these people are. Um, that anybody who voted for Trump is racist retrograde, uh, deplorable beyond the pale and that's just bullshit it is um, they, mm-hmm. they should have looked at Trump it, it, it had nothing to do with Trump it had nothing to do with his policies so-called it had nothing to do with his cabinet it had nothing to do with his Twitter it, what it, what it, the, the lesson from Trump is that 60odd million Americans were that, fed up that they were ready to go off the reservation and vote for this unknown TV reality star guy. <laughs> he, he won as a third party, a third party candidate won the 2016 election.
5: Hmm.
3: He had no, no support from the Republican Party, no ground game. All he had from them was ballot access. He didn't even spend any money. They certainly didn't spend any of their money on him. So in effect, effectively, a third party candidate won the 2016 election. And all libertarians could do is sit there and talk, and talk about how terrible this was. No, it, it wasn't terrible. It was a crack in the foundation. And, and they were too caught up in, you know, uh, hatred of rural and red state people to see that. And that irritates me.
4: Yeah, well, I'm just wondering now, though, is that really still the case? Because, I mean, as we see the past, what's been going on with this whole shutdown and this this debacle going on with this COVID-19 stuff, you know, I, I wonder if if still people are still going to run to their corners come 2020 and, I mean, because I, like, I feel like anyone on the, like, leftists or Democrats, they would say the same things about anyone who had an R next to their name about being racist and hateful and misogynistic. Like, th- that, would be, that would be flung at anyone at this point. And I want to know if that's, I don't know, I just feel like people are still going to run to their corners and I, I, I can't. It, for a moment, I see why the allure was for having a, like a third party. Like he was almost like a third party candidate, which I totally get that. But I feel like now like it's he's just more just now fallen into the Republican, uh, you know, uh, establishment at this point with some of his policies. And I mean, even today, he was making threatening, threatening tweets at Iran. You know, <laughs> I'm just wondering to know if like, is that gonna, still going to be the case come 2020? Like, how do you foresee that?
3: Well, I mean, he's obviously crazed. I, I don't know what to say. I wish he had just announced he was going to run for one term. Um, that would have been a stroke of genius. Uh, but he can't yeah. help himself. He is what he is. Uh, and, but let's not forget, they called W a racist and a sexist and a homophobe. Yeah. They called Mitt Romney yeah, yeah. You know, th- This is what the left does. This is what they've got. And um, And we shouldn't do it. We should we should be better than that. Um, I think, you know, the America is actually a pretty friendly and welcoming place. And, uh, uh, what, what the world needs is a third party that shuts its trap about culture and sticks to economics. That's what it needs. It needs a third party that shuts its pie hole, uh, <laughs> uh, about anything other than You know look we got an entitlement crisis look we got a debt crisis look we can't pay for these wars look the fed is out of control look your savings are being eaten eaten up look washington will never change you know it's the story tells itself it's not that hard um so you know this is what I, i i like third parties i wish they did better but look at ross perot 1992 he got 20 million votes 20 million votes. That was twenty percent of the electorate. I mean that was unbelievable. That was a that was like a tidal wave. Twenty million votes as a third party candidate probably cost uh Bush Sr. the election to Clinton. Now that's that's debated. But nonetheless, um, you know, four years later, everybody just went back to voting R and D. Yeah. <laughs> so it's well, yeah, the, very the, tough.
1: Yeah. It, didn't they actually impose like a bunch of like regulations to like further knock third parties out after Ross Perot?
3: Well, the ballot access thing is obviously criminal and it's obviously designed to do what it does. Uh, yeah,
1: protect the, it the, the other duopoly. problem
3: is that, you know, we don't have a parliamentary system. Unfortunately, the constitution basically says the house and Senate can operate by the rules that they make for them, their, themselves for their, for those two bodies. And, so the, the House and Senate made all these rules over the years that say, well, there's a majority party. The majority party gets to control committees. Um, and as a result of committees, they control the legislation. And so because the control at the committee level is so powerful, everybody wants to be a committee chair. You can only be a committee chair if you're an r and a D. To be an r and a D, you have to raise lots and lots of money and have a safe district so that you can give extra money to the party that's how you move up and so Uh we've got this lockdown system where but in a country of 328 million people we don't have a single green party or libertarian or peace and freedom or social democrat uh come on in a country as diverse as this i mean in a sense and henry Hazlitt actually wrote a book about this a little known book but in a sense i think a parliamentary system would be better for libertarians because at least we could have you know five or ten percent of congress let's say right and And then use use that five or 10 or 10 percent to form coalitions, you know, in support or opposition on various bills and that sort of thing. I would love to have to to have some of that uh, leverage.
1: So I got to ask, Jeff, um, with uh, the creation of the Mises Caucus, have you registered libertarian yet or?
3: No, 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 not not a voter.
1: Yeah, not a voter. Um, It doesn't surprise me. No, I,
3: no, I'm not gonna join a party that hates the Mises Institute, and hates Ron Paul. Fuck that.
1: Oh, so um I, I guess the well the Mises Caucus, I guess they're trying to like join it and change it from within. Do you think there's uh there's no fruit in that situation?
3: I don't know. I, I know Michael Heiss, I like him, he's a great guy.
1: Yeah, we we do too. He's been on the podcast a couple of times.
4: Yeah, I'm I'm the Maryland coordinator for the Mises Caucus, so well, that's what we're trying to do, Jeff. We're trying to trying to get the party to focus on what really matters. Good. That's yeah. it. it's the only thing we can do right now.
1: Yeah. So, uh, coming on, um, you've been wonderful, and we'd love to have you on again sometime. Um, yeah. And, you know, you,
3: yeah. Yeah. Sorry for that f bomb. No, oh, that's, no, that's typical. It's, t- okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's, okay. yeah. it's okay, Like we said,
5: if you didn't say the F-bomb, we would have cut you
3: off sooner. Hey, look, <laughs> if, if you, I'll tell you what. We have these really sweet new, brand new Mises Institute hoodies. They look nice. From Under Armour. Okay, they got the little Under Armour thing. They got It just says Mises Institute. It's got the little crest on the sleeve, by the way. Um, I guess these are cold gear, so some of you are still in states that are cold. Uh, so I'll tell you what. Hit, hit me up on Twitter at jeff Diced, and the first person to message me um i'll tell you what with the with the name of the intro song on the human action podcast we'll get one of these bad boys sent to them gratis so how's that awesome uh, <laughs> sounds good are you guys awesome. are, they, are the hosts of this podcast exempted from this contest
1: um, I probably, I would think so. All right. So, at any rate, at <laughs> yeah. any rate well, I listen. I listen, listen to that podcast. To
3: out. It's, it's Phil's
1: an actual video. listener. Phil yeah, not no. probably doesn't song, have but... like a five XL hoodie, anyways. Phil. <laughs> hey, we
3: got. <laughs> no, no, no. I can tell we got some. We got up to double XL on this, and it actually runs pretty so big. It's a, it's a great great hoodie, and uh, <laughs> we we're really people are really loving them because it's got the it's a real. Got a real Under Armour feel as opposed to like a corporate gift feel, if you know what I mean. Nice. For sure. Yeah, they yeah. look good. Yeah.
1: Cool. Well, thanks, Jeff. Uh, All right. Yeah.
3: Thank cool. you, guys. I appreciate it. Yeah, yeah thanks you take a care. Lot. We, we appreciate coming. it, man. All right. Take care.
1: Yep. Mm-hmm. So, guys, um, I guess now we're on to uh, Corona. On to Corona? Shit. One to Corona. Are
4: that fast? We're not gonna. We're not gonna pause. There's gonna be no transition.
1: There, there's gonna be no. I don't. Uh, I don't know. What, what, I got how, some things to talk about. We have. Wa-
4: about. We have. We have watchers, bro. Yeah, we've got fifteen people on. We don't want to lose them. Uh, okay.
1: <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, so, what did you want to say, Phil?
4: No, I just said a lot of people shitting on uh, Jeff in the comments and Ron Paul apparently too. It's not Actually, a lot. No, it's it's one, one dude. It's
1: one guy. Yeah, it's one <laughs> A lot, lot of people. Phil, why are you trying to blow this shit up, dude? Phil's trying we to blow this shit up. Well,
5: he pointed out the uh, blood and soil thing, which we all know about. Ugh, and then so he pointed terrible. out another thing, which I don't see really anything wrong, but apparently <laughs> at some point Jeff said, uh, Kaepernick's sin is not ignoring the state's anthem. It's repeating the abject lie that America is deeply racist. I don't see anything wrong with that statement right me neither <laughs> I mean does are there people in America that are racist? Sure, are there institutions that are that are racist? yeah, but I mean, are we defining America by the government? are we defining America by like the shittiest people in America or are we defining you know America as uh Carl Hess would define them as you know the people the land the um you know
1: like 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 a culture.
5: Yeah, the culture. And I don't, you know, I don't I don't buy that. It's deeply racist.
2: Kaepernick's uh, not problem isn't with America as a whole. It's it's specifically with the police and their treatment of uh, black people.
5: I I think, yeah, I mean, that is what he he built his thing around. Oh, and Uh,
1: and Betsy Betsy Ross, too.
2: (laughs) (laughs) So
4: you're saying that
5: he has never said this?
4: Kyle? I don't
2: think anyone's saying that. No. I mean, I'm just saying Kaepernick's whole platform is is mostly focused on police brutality. It's not just on overall generic cultural racism. I mean, maybe he loops that in, but his primary gripe is with the the way the police treat um, black people. And, um, you know, I I don't... uh, There's certainly been cases where you could say, well, he has a point. A lot of times I think the cases they choose as examples don't make a lot of sense, like the Zimmerman case, because Zimmerman was not a police officer. He was an overzealous community watch guy. Right. You know, they they act like he was an officer. He he was not an officer. You know, he was a a civilian. So that you, you can't throw that into your police brutality case when that particular case was not a police officer. But there's other times where the police have overreacted and killed, shot and killed uh, black people. And, you know, they've shot them in the backs. And so there there have been uh,
5: examples where they were in the wrong. Yeah, I mean, obviously, I've never objected to any of that from Kaepernick. Um, I do sort of uh, I don't like the framing of it as a primarily racist issue, though. I think it is a problem of police power. And, you know, are some cops racist? Sure, maybe. um But you know, there are plenty of white people that have been killed by the cops. And I think it's more white people have been killed by the cops. There's also more yeah, white people in the country. Yeah. But like, say, well, that's where
4: BLM falls flat for me. It's like they just don't have the inability to like, like they never they never got on with the whole Bundy ranch thing standoff. Like they never got on board. They were never like, yeah, dude, fuck the cops and. You know, and instead they actually there was actually a story where the person was criticizing because they were like abolished the, or something like fuck the BLM and so the Black Lives Matter got all really pissed off about it. But in fact, it was Bureau of Land Management what they had the right. answer said. Yeah, so like that it's just I don't know that's where they fall flat to so That's why they think the whole racist narrative is just so it's such a small view on such a bigger problem.
2: You know what I really wanted to ask Jeff? I mean, I, I wasn't going to do it oh, when he was a guest here. Well, but When he was
1: here and we were supposed to uh, – oh, you, did, you didn't want to ask him on well, camera. I
2: didn't or... want to interrupt, but um, – You could have interrupted. You me. know, what, I, what I'm really curious about is the, the, the blood and soil speech that people mention in well, the comments. I mean, that's what well, he's – Well, yeah, kind of, and, and actually – the controversy.
1: Uh, Kyle, listen, if you go on YouTube and you type in Jeff Dice, Tom Woods – um, you'll find uh, like he's been on the Tom Woods show like four or five times, something like that, maybe more. And then I believe like the la- it's either the last time he was on there or the time before that, um, Tom Woods actually brings it up and uh, Jeff explains it.
2: Okay, I, I was know? just curious so, about the timing of it because my memory of the situation was I thought he gave that speech and then a week later Charlottesville happened because I had never heard that yeah. phrase before Charlottesville. And I thought he said that before Charlottesville. The, the exact timing is—I
4: think I'm pretty sure he did. But it, yeah. it was,
2: you know, I mean, he couldn't have known that Charlottesville was going to happen, and and I and you know, they say that was a dog whistle to the far right, and and I don't know if that's true or not. I don't. Was it a pure no, coincidence? No, it wasn't.
4: Clearly, no, he was saying it. I mean, if you hear the speech and you hear him talk about what, like, he's just saying this matters to some people, like. You know, not everyone's a libertarian and understands libertarian ways. People still fall back on God and nation and blood and soil. Like people fall back on that. Like, like, let's not keep our head in the sand. Like, this is how people are. And like, that's he said it like just like that. And people are like, oh my God, he said the word blood and soil. Like, oh my. Well,
2: I'm gonna, God. I'm gonna have to re-listen to it, Phil. My recollection of it was that he was saying those things are important, not that he was saying some people think those things are important.
4: Dude, even in the comments section, even the guy who was blowing us up, thinking that he was, uh, you know, making a scene or whatever, even he said it in his direct quote. He said, it matters to some people in the end of the quote. The end, mm-hmm. It matters to people, quote. You know what I mean? So even there, even in his criticism, he still managed to, to make my point, you know? Oh, he's also,
5: I, he's also, uh, this must be one of the uh, idiot brigade. <laughs>
0: loser brigade.
5: Or the, uh, was it the loser brigade?
4: I don't know. It's- well, he's pointing out yeah, how yeah. Tom
5: Woods spoke at a neo Confederate League of the South gathering.
4: <laughs> oh my God! This has to be a bot. Like he has to be a bot. <laughs> I mean, I knew like, these I knew are things that. that
5: have been debunked over. Yeah, year. I know. So
2: he's that probably,
4: probably been de- debunked. Trolling. He did speak at
5: a League of well, the South. Well, I mean, okay, gathering. not debunked, but
4: explained. Yeah. yeah, but that was before it got taken over by a racist and made into like right. a complete like white nationalist thing.
2: Um, I, mean, I don't know about that, Phil. <laughs>
4: No. It was. Like no. Just read like, it. just read his explanation yeah. of it.
2: Yeah, I mean the libertarian position has always been supportive of um uh, secession. I mean that, you know, Rothbard says like all the way down to the individual level. So But that's the thing. He no, I mean,
5: went there to speak about secession. He wasn't Jackie there Tucker. to speak about He wasn't there to speak <laughs> about like the, you know, white pride or you know. <laughs>
2: We, we do have – I'll tell you this. As a movement, there are awful lot of coincidences, right? Like, I remember uh, I think Richard Spencer introduced Ron Paul at an event one time, you know, before before he became a figurehead in the alt-right. So, like, there's a lot of – and you had Chris Cantwell, who was a very famous uh cap, had a radio station. He was on Free Talk Live before he became a leader in the alt-right. So, uh, Chase Rachel's is another one. Like, we, it's just coincidence – after coincidence of, uh, oh, this guy converted, and did, now did, he's, it turns out he's a white nationalist. Did you, did
1: know? you just call Catwell a leader in the alt-right? Um,
2: yeah, I, I think that's a fair assessment. I mean, he has a popular radio show. Um, he was sort of the face of them it, uh, in that documentary on Vice, and uh, I, I, I would say that's accurate, you know. I don't know, man. I, I, I... Certainly no official <laughs> title, but, I mean – well, you know, I mean, well, I mean, look, there is you I, I, know. I, I'm
1: not I'm not saying that Camwell isn't all right. Like, you know, I, I think Camwell is horrible personally. I don't know if
5: he's a leader. Yeah. I mean, he. he yeah. was
1: But I don't think he's a leader. I just think he's a, a fat dude with a webcam. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Yeah, I mean, just, like, just like streamed it up and something Pro- like prominent
2: it. figure. Are you, are you comfortable with that prominent figure?
4: Uh, he was. He was. He's not he still anymore. is. He still is. Everybody's in the every crying Nazi, is, right? Yeah, he's yeah, famous. He's, yeah, but he's famous for alt right people and people with like Pepe the Frog uh, profile pictures. Like, he's not famous to any anyone who's actually a libertarian. And like, and I get the whole point of like, yeah, there are some coincidences, but you know what? There's also a lot of coincidences with the Democrat Party and with the uh, Republican Party. But yeah, yeah. it always gets put on libertarians as somehow like it's just exclusive to us. And I think that's a that's a that's a I would say it's a constructed narrative, but it's a a used narrative against people against libertarianism, and I I think that's completely perpetuated. And any time a libertarian starts to make noise anywhere, you know, they shut it down with "Oh, look at these connections! Oh, look at this!" So as yeah. my start to well, get yeah, it I mean, popular. What, oh, got to take him down.
1: Yeah, I mean, what they try to do is they they try to get triggered, right, and then uh, they they just use that to just like end the conversation altogether, right? You know.
4: Yeah, it's like, oh, he's racist. Nope, nope, can't hear anything more. Put my blinders up. He's racist. He's racist. I can't hear anything more. Exactly. Like, that's how people are. Don't forget Augustus Invictus. Okay, you just mentioned two, three people in this entire thing. Okay, there was literally a Ku Klux Klan member (laughs) was freaking into the Senate as a like, as, what, in the year 2000? Like, he was a Democrat. But, oh, we dismissed that. No one talks about that except for just a bunch of you know, uh, Republicans like types, you know, who mentioned that. I mean, think about it. The whole Democrat, I mean, at one point, the the Ku Klux Klan ran the Democratic Party and then it ran the Republican Party. But and it's never been associated with the Libertarian Party except for like three or four people. And then it's somehow now, it's always oh, a lot of coincidences. I'm not saying you were saying that, Kyle, but like, there's a oh, lot he of He was cited like though. That. Well, I mean, he's not saying he's playing devil's advocate here. Yeah, and I know. I you know he's not being he's not being mean about it like like some other people are, like so that's what drives me up. W-
1: the what wall do you is. what do you mean other people? Black people. Oh no! <laughs>
4: wow. No, that was no. What horrible, do you think dude? I mean?
1: What do you think <laughs> horrible. I mean? Come on. I don't know, man. I was just fucking with you.
2: Sounds I, like it.
1: But did I, you guys?
2: Did you guys yeah, catch uh, Jeff's statement there? He was like, what we need is a political party that ignores cultural issues and exclusively focuses on economics. You know, I, I wanted to ask him what he thought the libertarian political strategy should be. Um, I think the LP alone is having enough trouble. I don't know that there's room for a fourth party, but, you know, he's welcome to try. I, I'm just curious. You know, we have the GOP strategy, the LP strategy, the Free State Project strategy, uh, and then I guess the, the no voting, do nothing strategy, and maybe, and maybe another one would be form a new party. And it sounded like he favors forming a new party that's exclusively focused on spending and debt.
4: Well, I mean, the Libertarian Party can be that and say, hey, at the same time, be like, yes, that's our main focus because this is the, the biggest issue that's going on in this world right now is the war and economics. But you know, at the same time, It doesn't matter if, if, you know, if you're in a a relationship when you have three wives or you're gay or straight or what you identify as, like, that's whatever, because as long as you're not forcing on other people, it's fine, but we need to focus and come together about people are dying, people are being murdered, and it's all being done with our dollars. Like, that needs to be the focus. And then Well, yeah, that's that's where I'm not a fan of the...
5: And obviously he's going to say this because he's in the Mises Institute, but, like, I don't know how successful a party that, entirely focuses on economics is going to be.
0: Yeah. I mean, not people, most because- people
5: are not interested in that. Most people, you know, you got to be kind of a nerd. You got to be kind of like us, you know, and, and get be interested in, like, economics and the Fed. Like, you know, it... it, well, it you
1: just it, named two economic things. Huh?
5: That's what I'm saying. You have to be a okay. nerd to be into that. Most people uh- aren't nerds. Most people are not going to... You're gonna start talking about that shit, and they're they're just gonna fucking go white, you know?
1: Do you think we should? We seeing... should, we should you think we should go fishing for leftists with SJW issues? No,
5: no. I think we need to. <laughs> no, I think we need to focus on the stuff that a lot of people. We've talked about this a million times. We focus on the war and the immorality of war, and we focus like we uh, uh, we attack it from sort of the moral pulling on you know the moral intuitions of people that. Are coming to realize that war is bad, that you know, war is bad. The drug, that war, drug is war is bad. Is bad yeah. That you know, you know, mass incarceration is bad. Like all these things that people are, the moral compass is starting to point in the right direction. All these issues, for everybody, instead of just like a few people, Um those are the things that I think we need to sort of occupy ourselves with. I just, you know, I maybe, appreciate there maybe, being the Mises you know, institute. I appreciate like, I, that but I you know I don't think for politics per se and you know we we can talk about the validity of all that but I I don't think like that's the strategy I think the strategy is appeal to people's moral intuitions on things like war drugs etc excuse me and see see where that gets you
1: I I think so I mean you, the, when you talk about wars and then you talk about the drug war th- those are my like number 1 and number 2 issues But at the same time, it's like I think the the Federal Reserve and economics are very important because it's like they're definitely important. As long as 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 long as we have the Federal Reserve, you know, we're paying for the we're paying for the wars and the drug wars, which are my number one, number two issues. You know, so you know we're printing money. We're um, well at the same time we're devaluing our savings. And I say I say we. I shouldn't say we. The Federal Reserve is printing money Mm -hmm. that is uh, devaluing (laughs) our savings. Right. And I think
4: even as a even as a dumb kid, like I just remember just thinking like I wasn't like into politics. I mean, it was like maybe like 10 or 11 where I like I was first found out, like I think my mom might have told me, she was like, yeah, it's not the dollar's not backed by anything. It's it's just it's backed in our faith in it. And I'm like, even that even then, like I didn't care about politics at the time, but I was still like, that's weird. That Mm. doesn't make sense. Like it still kind of like presented a question for me to which I don't think. everyone just sort of accepted but never had a question before you know so i think there is something to be said like if we get these questions out early and i think the problem with the third party kyle like we were talking about like the fourth party is is we need we don't have a second party like that that whole that whole thing is so true that whole thing that ron paul says is like we don't even have a second party you know it's just one people who on they just have two different names who are blocking out any other dissent and i think getting on some type of debate stage with with a Republican or Democrat would be huge for any party. And I think whether it's a green party or bread and, bread and roses, (laughs) whatever.
2: I think that's the wrong way to think about it. I really do think Democrats and Republicans are, uh, oppose each other and and have some different ideas, but uh, obviously there's a lot more overlap than libertarians would really like. And, Certain things are just comp- they are 100% in agreement. They agree on social security. They agree on Medicare. They agree on the Fed. They agree on the wars. They agree on public education, um, the welfare state. You know, so there's a ton of overlap, and that's why it's so easy, you know, to say, well, you guys are really the same, but uh, they they really do hate each other. I mean, there there they is do. yeah
4: they do. The the, the I think the politicians might get along. Better than what, say, some uh, red guy and blue guy on the street meet each other and start arguing. Well, they get
5: along <laughs> on all the on all the important issues, right? Well, <laughs> a lot of important yeah. issues. They but they, they, they get know. along when it comes to increasing the deficit. They get along when it comes to signing on for more war. They get along when it comes to, you know, giving themselves Quarantine. pay raises. Quarantining. <laughs> I mean, they get along on a lot <laughs> right. of things that. On a lot of the more, the things that we care about as libertarians. Yeah. And I think that's where the second party thing comes into play because, yeah, I mean, okay, they disagree on, um, I don't know, w- welfare to a degree, maybe, um, yeah. you know, re- certain religious things, maybe. I don't know, like
2: abortion. They, abortion, they dis- but like. They disagree on abortion. Yeah. They disagree on. Um... Let me think here guns and drugs sure right once uh, democrats tend to be more okay with drugs and and republicans tend to be more okay with guns i think i think on both cases neither supports as much freedom as libertarians would support right right? you know libertarians are sort of like uh (laughs) anything goes
5: you know yeah yeah but i mean I guess, you know, Ron Paul's point is just that within these two major parties, of course, they're different in some regards or else, you know, they wouldn't exist independently. But the important differences just aren't really there and and they're not there to the degree that is, you know, what we would want yeah, or to the degree that we are different.
2: Another thing I didn't get to bring up when uh, Jeff was on was the, um, you know, when Ron Paul left Congress, both times he he kind of left in a rage. I felt like he, I, I he, think he so wrote a he wrote a book or a speech after the first time, kind of a you know, screw you guys, you're all corrupt bastards, I'm out of here, you know? Mm-hmm. And then he did the same thing when he retired for good uh, in 2012 or whenever, whatever year that was, his last yeah, term. Yeah, he a bunch
4: of psychopaths.
2: Yeah, he did like a 45-minute speech on the floor uh, condemning all of them. And, and really, I mean... I- Maybe I'm being that's the wrong way to put it, because I think he really mean like was meaning to be constructive and meaning to be like, look, these are the things we need to get together. We need to get our act together on these things. And these are where we need to improve on. So it wasn't just throwing them under the bus, but a little bit of it of it was, you know, well deserved, I would add.
1: Yeah. So, dude, I'm just noticing here that that we're um, just about running out of time. Phil, wasn't there something that you had to say, dude?
4: Uh <laughs> did like, I? Dude,
1: weren't you gonna tell us weren't you gonna tell us about that uh awesome podcast?
4: Oh, you're gonna talk about conversations about freedom, okay. Yeah, dude, more Bob, um, I don't think a new I don't think uh new he's dropped a new podcast since we, uh the last time we were on, but um I think he had on uh Jacob Hornberger and I know he was on Johnny Adams podcast too. So he, Moral Bob's been everywhere. So everyone should go check out after you're done listening to us. Of course, you should go check out, uh, conversations about freedom, uh, go to the Liberty podcast ranker and give him an upvote. He needs some help. Uh, he's kind of down low on the list, you know, just starting out to so go over and, uh, check him out and give him your support. Hell yeah. All right, bro.
1: Okay. And yeah, I want to go over to after hours after this, cause there's like some stuff I, I want to say. So you guys are all free to do that.
4: Yeah. I'm down. I got another beer. Awesome.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Cool. Yeah. So um, if you want to follow us on over to the after hours program, uh, hit us up at Patreon.com forward slash punk rock libertarians and contribute a minimum of $1 per month. If you can contribute more, that's great. But if you could do uh, just $1 per month, that's majorly appreciated. And, uh, yeah, um, the after hours, it really uh, helps keep us going, you know. So uh, we, we appreciate that. Um, we also have t-shirts over at libertariancountry.com. If you can treat, if you uh, type in the code PIRO or the code pro podcast, you'll receive a 10% discount. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry. I, I'm a little intoxicated. Until next time, live free.
3: Poor guy.
0: Stay this is free that the flags out the tax bombs in red Was by fire few at the expense of the many Soldiers and cards in a dead machine You can't justify killing by economic gain For God country and democracy You can put freedom in death point in a floodland land. We what the truth that bring them home and I believe that you will do the best for you And I believe that we I have the power, have the power, I make a slave, and I know I'm a slave. We can make a break, break the power, break the power. Society of individuals, nothing more than not interference with natural rights! A virtuous person fully comprehends the non-aggression principle The violence in the state becomes absolute!